morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you as we are going to explore and discuss another episode, another lesson of our Passover Passion Series, and I certainly hope that this series is being a blessing to you. So now we're going to look at Lesson 13, and I'm calling this Payment. Payment. We've talked a little bit about the consecration of the bride. We looked at that a few lessons ago, and about the price that the Levitical law, the Torah demanded for consecrating a female to the Lord was 30 pieces of silver. We saw how Zechariah, hundreds of years later, comes along and prophesies, prophetically speaking, about the payment, the price, the contract price that would be paid upon and laid upon the head of the Messiah. And that price was 30 pieces of silver. And then we saw how Judas came along and actually fulfilled that, going to the priest and the Levite and the chief priest, the scribes, the Pharisees, etc., and contracting with them for 30 pieces of silver to betray the Lord. And whether they knew it or not, in the whole scheme of God's plan, they were actually fulfilling a prophetic word and allowing and bringing in the consecration of this female that God was wanting to consecrate to himself, and that's the bride of the Lord. We talked in the last lesson or so about the Jewish wedding concept, and we understood how it plays out with the life of Christ, even concerning the uh, immersion that he went through at his baptism. That was one of the elements of that. And then when we come to the Last Supper, we see the, the presentation of the offer of covenant relationship in the bread and the wine and the partaking of that. We talked about that. We also talked about the ketubah, the marriage contract that the groom and the bride would sign and would agree to, and all that it included. And one of the most important terms, if not the most important term, was the bride price, the mohar, the Jews call it, that the groom would pay to purchase that bride. What was she worth to him? So I want to go back and pick up there and read these scriptures again that we looked at in the last lesson, and then we're going to move forward into payment because it was necessary for the groom to pay that price. And we're going to see that it was not only the payment for the bride and to purchase us as his bride because he valued us that much, but it was also the payment of the ransom for our sins so that it could save us. And it was the only way that we could be saved. So we're going to talk about those things today in as we consider the payment that Jesus gave. Because at the time of this taping, it is what traditionally the Christians consider to be Good Friday. Now, that's the day that we set aside to represent and remember the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now in honor of the crucifixion of our blessed Lord, we want to understand more about it and know what it truly was for us. And so one of the things that I want to bring to you 
in these lessons is that greater understanding of that from the scriptures. So today we're going to consider the topic payment. It was the purchase price that he made for us. First of all, I want to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Then I want to turn over to 1 Peter and read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 21. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Verse 21 also who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So here we see again, we have been purchased. We have been bought. Jesus loved us enough to buy us. Praise be to God. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, we read this. And these are the redeemed that are standing before the presence of the Lord. And it says this, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation or ethnos and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Oh, how beautiful is that? Because that is showing us that the redeemed of the Lord are all over the earth. He came to save every person, no matter where you live, no matter what race you are, no matter what ethnicity you are, no matter what tribe or tongue you are from, no matter what your language is, no, none of that matters. He came to save everyone. So everyone who might hear this message, wherever you are in the world, Jesus came to redeem you. And he will save everyone out of every nation, tribe and tongue, and people group in the world. Hallelujah. And one day we will all be together in his presence. Praise God for that. I want to also now turn to Hebrews chapter 9. I want to look at verse 11 and 12, and it says this, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Praise God. When he spilled his blood on the cross of Calvary, it bought hit for his people, all who would believe in him and call upon his name in faith and be saved. It bought for us eternal redemption. John said one of the purposes for writing his books, especially his gospel, he said, These things I have written that you may know 
Jesus Christ and that you have eternal life in him. That's not the exact quote, but it comes from John chapter 20, I believe. I believe it's somewhere around verse 30 or so in John chapter 20. And so God wants us to know he has purchased for us once for all eternal redemption, eternal salvation, and we can have assurance of our salvation. As long as we are pursuing the Lord and we are sincerely for him and honoring to him, as long as we truly love him and are growing in this covenant relationship with him, then we are assured of our salvation. Praise be to God. Now I want to turn to the book of Psalms, and I want us to look first at Psalm chapter 49, and I want to read verses 6 through 8, and then I want to read verse 15 as well. In Psalm 49, the sons of Korah have written this psalm, and I want to begin in verse 6. It says this, Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever that he should continue to live continually, or live eternally, excuse me, and not see the pit. So here, the sons of Korah are speaking about the, the people that boast in their riches and all of that. There, there's not enough money in the world. What he's saying here, there is not enough money in the world. There's not enough gold or silver anywhere in the world to buy and to pay for the redemption of the souls of mankind. No one can redeem his brother or his sister or his father or his mother or his neighbor or anybody else. No one can give to God a ransom that will pay their debt, their sin debt, that will cover the cost of purchasing and giving them eternal redemption. He says here the redemption of their souls is costly. That means it's very expensive. It's, it's valuable. It's something that is of great worth and cost and only one person was able to do that. And that is the same one that the author of Hebrews just told us about when Jesus came with his own blood and has purchased for us eternal redemption, eternal ransom, eternal ransom to the point that the sons of Korah go on in verse 15 of this same chapter and they say this, But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. When you believe in Jesus, you don't even have to fear death, because you know that on the other side of death, he will receive you. He will redeem you even from the grave. We're promised that in 1 Corinthians 15 as well. Then I want us to turn back to Hebrews and this time I want to go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 through 10 is what I want to read today. 
For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he, speaking of Jesus, came into the world, he said, and he's quoting from the book of Psalms, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So here again, this is telling us that Jesus came for one purpose, and that was to do the will of God. And Isaiah 53.10 tells us that it was the Lord's will to bruise him or to strike him, to kill him, because this is the only way. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son because there was no other way. It tells us that right here in verse 4 of chapter 10. It, it, it was not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. And we just saw in Psalm 49 that the, the money in the world, all the wealthy people in the world, all the elitists, all those who have all kinds of money or power or prestige, they can't pay enough. There's not enough money anywhere. There's not enough animals. There's no blood or bulls of, of bulls and goats that could, that could ever pay the sin debt and ransom the human soul. There was only one that could do that, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came to do that on our behalf. Let's look at how he has paid the bride price. Now, remember, we talked about the bride price being the value that he placed to have us as his bride. And in saying that and in considering that, I want us to go back to another scripture that we've read a couple of times here. But I want to show you something in this passage. I want you to see something fresh in the reading of this right now. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27, it says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. 
I really wanted to focus back on this because he loved the bride. He loved the church. You know, this is an, an admonition to husbands about how they should treat their wives. But what I'm focusing on is how he says, do it just as Christ also loved the church. He loves his bride. And so you have the father of the groom who loves the world, willing to give his son for the world. And then you have the son who loves the world and, or loves the church, loves the world and all of those who will receive him so much that he also wants to give himself for her. That's what we just read. Christ loved the church so much so that he gave himself for her. Hallelujah. So he paid our ransom with his own blood. He paid our bride price with his own blood. We needed to be ransomed because we were held under sin and under bondage. We lost that special relationship with God that we were separated from God because of sin. We see that way back in the Garden of Eden. When that happened, when sin entered the world, the serpent came in and Adam and Eve fell for the, the deception. They fell for the lie and the challenge of the enemy. They fell into sin. And from that point forward, man has been under the curse of sin. And Jesus came to redeem us from that. He came to save us and he did so with his own blood. Notice that we were under the dominion of Satan at that point, because we lost that ability to have that sweet fellowship with God because sin was in the way. We had sinned. We needed a Savior, and we needed God to help us out because there's no way we could save ourselves. All the money in the world can't save us, and there's not enough animals. You couldn't possibly have the blood of bulls and goats that would save us. So we were helpless we were in, in a setting where we were helpless. I want us now to look at the book of Romans. In chapters 1 through 5, you can read those, and I encourage you to do that. But this whole chapter uh, section of Romans from 1 through 5 is all about the condition of mankind, no matter who you are, Jew or Gentile, circumcision or uncircumcision, it talks about how we are all under sin, none are righteous, no, not one. We have all sinned, come short of the glory of God. We are all in need of a Savior. And so beginning in chapter 3, we find out how that condition and that doom is taken care of through the Lord. We find out what God has done to save us. And in Romans chapter 3, I would like to begin reading... In verse 19, you can read beginning in verse 9, and it talks about how, uh, let, let me read verse 9 and, and uh, 10 to you. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. Talking about circumcision versus uncircumcision and so forth. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one, and he quoting, he's quoting from Psalm there. So he goes on down, verse 19, 
And he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And he goes on down and he talks about how we are condemned already. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us, not to condemn us. We already stand condemned. We already stand guilty before a holy God who is the judge of all the earth. That is our condition unless and until we believe and receive the finished work of Jesus Christ that he did on the cross. And that was the payment he made for us. He's paying not only to purchase us as his bride, but he's paying to deliver us from the guilty condition of condemnation that we stand now in before a holy God. That's what Paul is talking about here. So he says in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation or the mercy seat, that's what that means, by his blood, through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul is teaching very clearly in Romans 1 through 5. This is considered to be his great treatise of the faith. And I encourage anyone, once you come to faith in Jesus Christ, I would encourage you first read the Gospels. Read the book of John or the book of Matthew. If you're, if you're Jewish, perhaps you should start with the book of Matthew. Read the Gospels. Read them over and over and over. And then move to the book of Romans because in the book of Romans, he lays out clearly Christianity. It's a great treatise of the faith of Christianity in his book here. And he starts by giving us clear understanding of what he calls justification by faith alone. That's a big theological term, but it simply is telling us that we're in a courtroom setting. We have a, an adversary, the devil, who he knows, he knows us. He has tricked us. He's got the goods on us. He's got documentation. He knows every sin we've ever committed. He's got it all written down and he's standing before the holy God, ready to condemn us, ready to judge us, ready to accuse us. He is called the accuser of the brethren in the book of Revelation. And so he's standing there and he's pleading his case. He's like, well, I saw, I saw when she did this and this and this, and I can tell you every occasion she did this or went there or, or committed this sin. And he's got them all. He's got them all. He'll lead you to sin and then he will condemn you for doing that sin. 
He is evil. And so he's standing over there accusing us. And apart from Jesus Christ, we sit in the defendant's seat and have no case. We have no defense on our own because we stand guilty as charged. And you and I both know that. No one knows that better than we do. That's why it said in John, he didn't come to condemn us. He didn't come to tell us the devil's good at doing that. He's, he's going to do that. But Jesus didn't come to do that. But we sit apart from Jesus in a courtroom, standing guilty before a holy God. But there's good news. And the good news is that there's a defense attorney that will turn to us that will talk to us, that may say, Your Honor, may I have a moment with my client? And he will take us aside, and he will tell us of what he's done for us, and he will offer to us a, a way to be acquitted of our sin, justified through our faith in him, and yielding our life to him, and allowing him to come in, and we receive him. It's a beautiful picture. I love that trial picture. And I actually, in my Back to the Future Revelation study messages, in one of the early lessons of that, when we were looking at Revelation 2 and 3 and uh, early, early parts of Revelation, I talked about that and I showed the picture in that trial dramatization of how Romans 1 through 5 plays out. And when a person receives Jesus, that defense attorney, then he can turn back to the judge and he can show his nail-scarred hands and feet because he paid the death penalty that we stood guilty and condemned to pay. Without Jesus, before the holy God, because the word of the living God says that the wages of sin is death. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So we stand guilty before God. And if we do not receive Jesus Christ and accept him as our Lord and Savior, we will then have to face the condemnation and the, the sentence, the death sentence that is warranted by our sin. And so that death penalty will come, and it comes in the end when we are condemned to hell, to the lake of fire forever, and there is no escape, there is no probation, there is none of that ever again. So right now, Jesus is calling out to all who will believe because now is the day of salvation. Paul tells us that he says today is the day of salvation. When we have that opportunity before we draw our last breath to receive him and to receive and believe in his finished work that paid for our sins. And when we do that, he then appeals to the judge based on the fact that he's already paid the death sentence. And so therefore, God, the judge of all the earth, can acquit us. He can declare us justified in his sight and acquitted of all charges 
because we have a substitute that paid that price for us. Jesus died in my place. Jesus died in your place. He died in the place of everyone who will believe upon him. And it is only through his blood that we are redeemed. But when we believe in him, we receive the precious blood of Jesus Christ that washes away our sins. We stand now before a holy God no longer condemned. God would be unjust to condemn us and make us now pay the death sentence that our Lord and Savior has already paid in our place. And so when we receive his payment on our behalf, we can then be acquitted by the holy God and justified just as if we had never sinned before. Praise be to God that Jesus is our mercy seat. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. His blood atoned for us. And because he shed his blood, we now have remission of our sins. I want to read a few final places as we draw to a close right now. The first one I'd like to read is in Psalm 32, and it's verse 1 and 2. David said this. Now, you have to remember, we're not told when this psalm was written by David. So we don't know if it was before or after his encounter with Bathsheba and all of that. We do know that what he did with Bathsheba and Uriah, that whole sin he was uh, repentant for. We have Psalm 51, and it's a beautiful prayer of repentance because when we receive Jesus Christ, repentance and confession of sin is required. It's part of how God then forgives us. We have to admit to our sin and ask for his forgiveness to be able to receive that gift. And so David says this at some point, whether it was before that or not, he now recognizes the blessedness of being forgiven. And he says in verse 1 and 2, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. He knew the blessings of being forgiven. Praise be to God. God is the God who forgives. I want to close with these last few verses, please. In Psalm 99, verses 6 through 8, it says this, Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance he gave them. You answered them, O Lord our God. You were to them God who forgives, though you took vengeance on their deeds. God who forgives. El Nassah. Do you know what that means? The word Nassah means to lift or to carry away, to take away. I want you to see that 
in Psalm, in the book of John, excuse me, in John chapter 1, verse 29. John, let's read this. It's John the Apostle writing his gospel, but he's talking here about John the Baptist. He says this, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Beloved friend, the Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah, came and he did through his death on the cross take away the sin of the world. He is the God who forgives El Nassah. I hope and pray that you have believed on Jesus and have found him to be the God who has forgiven you personally and that you also know that blessedness that David spoke about. Oh, he wants to take away your sin just like he's taken away mine. And if you know him and he has done that for you, today would be a great day to thank him again for taking away your sin through his precious death on the cross and the spilling of his blood as your ransom to purchase you and to save you and to redeem you. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for more of these Passover Passion teachings. God bless you today in Jesus' name.